Good morning. Good morning, everybody over in Clubhouse. We're going to get the party started on the interactive side of things over on uh, Twitter Spaces. So if you guys wanted to join us over there, you can uh, hit the link provided. Let me get that up for you guys. For anyone that's not familiar with the show, we start right about 9 a.m. and we go for one full hour. Hey, Jason, do you, uh, can hey, you check, check, check? I just want to see if my mic was working. First time on spaces. Yes, sir. Your origin, Eric. Eric, Thank did, you, sir. Tweet, did you tweet your article? No, let me do that. Yeah, if you could tweet your article and then go to the, uh, after you tweet your article, go to the arrow on the right hand side of the bottom of it. And you'll be able to share it, and you'll share it with this room, and it'll go up top into the Jumbotron, and that's going to be our PTR order. Hey, Jason, can you put the link uh, for today's show? Do we have that somewhere? I can just copy and paste it in the clubhouse real quickly. Yeah, give me one second. You want me to text it to you? Or? It doesn't matter. Text it, Slack it, so I can pop it open over here. to your actual post and then uh -huh. you hit the little arrow on the bottom if i remember okay. correctly the bottom, yeah, on the bottom and then, yeah. and then you can boom yep that's it thank you i see you up there Ooh, ooh. all right this is exciting and All right, Rico, it's time for news for this music. Oh, yeah. I need confirmation that the uh, link is on Clubhouse from somebody on our team. Let's get this party started. Start us off the day, Jason. Yes, sir. Yes, indeed. That is coming right up for you, Rico. 
all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and views with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Thursday, July 7, 2022, and this is episode 317. And I am Jason Beck, the longest continuous retail operator of cannabis in the United States. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific on Twitter Spaces. Spark it up with us and over 31,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members. If you want to be an audience, if you would like to be an audience participant, and please support our show by subscribing and leaving us a review. Today we're talking about Brittany Grenier and the... Um, the fact that she is trying to be released and was just hindered a plea uh, where it is. There's a new change in Washington State's Liquor and Cannabis Board to using the word cannabis as an alternative to marijuana and many other frost nuggets. So stay tuned with us for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. Oh, there's my part. <laughs> this is coming up to the stage next. It's Viewer right. discretion advised. <laughs> oh my God. It's fucking trash. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. All right. So we got stories on uh, today on a $295 weed-infused dinner experience in Santa Monica. Democrats pressing Joe Biden to pardon Americans for nonviolent cannabis offenses. Um, what else here? And clairvoyant initiating the first site for phase two psilocybin therapy, uh, clinical trial for alcohol use disorder as well. So um, I'll be kicking off the show today. My name is Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street, also the founder of Cannavision Global. I like to ask the tough questions that mainstream media refuses to ask. And um, everybody knows me as uh, the dopest dad alive, pretty much. So um, let's hop into it today. My story off top is an update on U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner admitting Russian drugs charge, admitting to the Russian drugs charge, but she denies intent. Top of the hour, we've got an update on the Russian detention of WNBA superstar Brittany Griner. And uh, speaking at the second hearing of her trial on the narcotics charge that could see her sentenced to up to 10 years in prison, the Phoenix Mercury star has pleaded guilty to a drugs charge in a Russian court on Thursday, but denied she had intentionally broken the law. The news comes just days after she urged uh, U.S. President Joe Biden to secure her release. The official broadcast on Russian state television actually released footage of Griner's testimony with her quietly saying, I'd like to plead guilty, Your Honor, uh, but there was no intent. I didn't want to break the law. I'd like to give my testimony later. I need time to prepare. I'm unfamiliar with Russian law or how their courts work, um, but this news doesn't seem too good for the American hoop star on the surface. Uh, was she coerced into the admission of guilt or uh, sincere in her testimony uh, that it was an accident? I guess we'll find out in due time. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I'd like to hear from the other uh, um, 
lawyers on our team, anybody familiar with uh, international law or any of these uh, stories with Russia? I know we're in the fog of war right now. I don't want to speak uh, on, on, on stuff that I'm not well versed in. So I'm opening that up to the uh, discussion. You know, I like to ask anybody else in the room. There's Rico Lamit, dopest dad on the street state, uh, for the State of Cannabis News Hour, free Brittany Grit, uh, Griner. And um, I just, I feel, I feel bad about this whole thing. I'd like to hear from the rest of the team. No. I mean, with our previous stories, we've heard it with maybe CBD, but we're, so no, we don't know what it was. Yeah. Yeah, there's an admission of guilt, and she asked to represent herself later. However, her lawyer um, is pretty much saying that he's wishing for a lenient lenient sentence. (laughs) So, I don't know. Did the article cover what the potential range of sentences might be? Anything up to 10 years in prison. Damn. Rico, I, I think the stakes are so high here. It's so visible. So I sort of like this Venn diagram of very high visibility and super polemical, you know, political issue. I think there's going to be some horse trading and she will eventually be released. But... Um, you know, we have some people I'm sure they want, I think it's going to be that kind of situation. It's just, and, um, I hope by the end of the year that happens. I hope so. Are you really that that optimistic that she'll be getting horse traded? Yeah, I do, because I know we've got folks they want and it could involve some kind of Ukraine element or something, but you know, we've got the, we've got the foot on their neck on some stuff. It's not, this isn't one way. So it's, it's very visible. I just, I think any administration I don't think this is even a, 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 a partisan thing. I think a Republican or a Democrat, it's just too visible. It's the right thing. And I just think we're going to give something up and we'll get her back. It's just too, too, it's too, it's too high visibility. Right. And it's the right thing. And it's the right thing. So that's a, a good Venn diagram there. I, I love your optimism. I am not that optimistic personally about this. I, I, I don't personally see it happening, but I love your optimism. I'm trying to find some in these dark days. Man. <laughs> I kind of like living in the darkness. I don't know, man. <laughs> Stay optimistic. Yeah, I'm a sunny California, man. I need some sunshine. Yes, indeed. Anybody else want to comment on that um, from the audience? If you're in the audience, if you hit that heart button, you can see reactions as well as the hand raised feature button if you're not familiar with Twitter spaces. All right, let's keep smoking the news. He's the longest continuously operating retailer in the industry with an affinity for the best weed in the world. The identification and eradication of Boof worldwide in our very own State of Cannabis News Hour, Kaiser Brose. But also in Detroit, he's known as White Gucci. London is the Boof Free Bloke. And um, of course, fitting a tiara, crowning the queen of the Emerald Village in West Hollywood, where he is the president of the Cannabis tourism uh board jason beck i can't believe what's that i can't believe i can't believe you're excluding gucci blanco oh excuse me excuse me i i I apologize down in uh the the flooded streets of miami the uh he's also known as gucci blanco gucci gucci blanco jason beck what do you have for us today oh yeah good morning rico happy thursday everyone we're almost through the week we just have two more days ahead including today but nonetheless, my story comes out of Bend, Oregon, 
where drug agents raid two bend area illegal marijuana grows and find 6,800 plants and arrest four. And also, two, one of these four hurt the canine unit in a fight with the suspect. An 18 month investigation on a bend area drug ring allegedly growing illegal marijuana to deliver around the Northwest ended in a pair of raids Wednesday on properties east of Bend in, in Tumalo, with four arrests and seizures of nearly 7,000 plants with an estimated black market value of $3.5 million. Bend police K9 unit Kim was injured in a fight with one of the men hiding in a closet who was arrested, authorities said. The search warrants executed at 7 a.m. by the Deschutes County Illegal Marijuana Enforcement Team and the Central Oregon Drug Enforcement Team, a.k.a. Code, rap team wrapped a case that began with community complaints and tips about one of the grow's locations on Nelson Road. Drug agents eventually discovered a second grow site on Half Mile Lane in Tomalo, and detectives Special agents and intelligence analysis conducted many hours of physical and electronic surveillance on the two properties with greenhouses and outdoor grows that were dormant over the winter and resumed in the spring, Sergeant Kent Vanderkamp of the DCIME team said in news release. They also determined the organizational structure and identified its leaders. Vanderkamp said a 62-year-old Bend man who owns Half Mile Lane location is alleged to be one of the leaders. A 31-year-old man associated with addresses in Pasco, Washington, and Cincinnati, Ohio, is still outstanding and being sought. The Bend man was one of four arrested on charges of illegal marijuana growing at the two locations. The others were a 40-year-old Pasco, Washington man, and two men, ages 25 and 46, from Michoacan, Mexico. Four laborers were detained, identified, interviewed, and later released by detectives and refused social services and assistance. Vanderkamp said other people found at the growth sites were determined to, to be not associated and were released without charges. Most of the Mexican national laborers contracted by detect, or contacted by detectives were trafficked into the U.S. and promised $20 a day to tend the growth sites. Vanderkamp said the laborers at Nelson Road growth site lived in squalor. They used outdoor toilets and prepared their food in primitive outdoor kitchens. During the raid on Half Mile Lane, one of the arrested men was found hiding in a closet. Vanderkamp said, uh, Ben Police K-9 Kim was deployed to search the home and discover the man who fought with a, who fought with the dog and injured her snout during the struggle. Vanderkamp uh, also said, despite her injuries, the K-9 still got the man to come out of the closet where uh, officials arrested him. Vanderkamp said Kim was later treated for her injuries and is resting comfortably. While the man was taken into St. Charles Bend, treated for non-life-threatening injuries, and booked into the jail on drug charges, as well as interfering with a law enforcement animal, um, the four arrested men later were released in terms of Senate Bill 48, which took effect on Friday, and, and set new release criteria for arrested individuals focusing on their danger to the community instead of a bail amount. Deschutes County District Attorney John Hamill said, so people grow unlawfully in Oregon to avoid having to pay taxes and the regulatory expenses, and then they ship it out of state and sell it in states where marijuana is not legal. Idaho is one. We had some selling in Georgia, someone selling in New England, and I think we had someone selling in Ohio. Nearly two dozen greenhouses were located at the Nelson Road site near Bend Airport at, and 10 at the Half Mile Lane site.
near Three Sisters Advent School in Tomalo. A sheriff's detective uh, said each greenhouse near the school had ranging from 189 to 200 marijuana plants, while the ones near the airport had roughly 250 plants in each of them. He said in the state of Oregon, only four marijuana plants are allowed per household, and the detective also said anything grown between four and 12 plants is a misdemeanor, and anything over 12 is a felony. The multi-agency team used Use mobile light lab testing units to test growth samples to confirm the plants are THC dominant, identifying them as marijuana and not hemp. And authorities working in the field said the samples will be held in evidence for the prosecution of the crime before they're disposed of. Evil said manufacturing convictions are based on three things prior criminal record of the suspect, the quality of the drugs, and whether there's other ancillary factors such as whether weapons are used. The sentence he said, the sentence he said can range from a few weeks in a few weeks to a few years in jail and oftentimes the biggest penalty is criminal forfeiture manufacturing drugs within a thousand feet of a school brings in an, an enhanced penalty upon conviction obviously not enhanced enough to keep them in jail uh the cases are still under investigation hemel said the confiscation is just to enforce the law but also to support the numerous lawful marijuana businesses within the district's county that comply with the state's marijuana laws. He says, it's not fair to be undercut by bandits that are taking away from your markets to share. Almost said, well, I'll tell you what, this, this story is just a lot of problems and a lot more problems are definitely going to be happening in the industry and around this area because it's just, just what people are doing. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the state of Canada's news hour. Things are pretty crazy out in them Oregon woods, man. Things are pretty wild out in there in the in the sticks out in Oregon, man. Seems like a waste of resources when you when you ever visit Oregon and see how many tweakers are out there that are actually like destroying the earth and committing violent crimes, etc. But it's like making hell of meth, huh? Yeah, but it's a lot, always easier to, to raid somebody who's growing weed because they're probably just you know cooking brownies and watching TV or playing video games. Also, what about the dog? What about the police dog that was injured, man? That makes me sad. Right? That made me really sad. I, that one made me really sad. That's what I was most worried about. How's he doing? <laughs> little, Kim, little Kim is comfortably recovering. What? That's the dog's name? The dog's name was Kim, yeah, so I said little Kim. <laughs> Anybody else want to comment on that one? Let's keep smoking the news, Jason. We have Lara next. You going to introduce Lara? Kaiser Brose. Kim Kim got Jason. <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't realize my mic was off. I apologize for that. This badass cannabis is the co-founder of the International Cannabis Bar Association, current chair, current chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco Cannabis Law Section, and founder of San Francisco Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project and the organic source for the silkiest, smoothest vocal cords in the Western Hemisphere. Truly amazing. Coming up next is none other than Laura DeCaro. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. You guys are you guys are the best. Um, okay, so my article today is coming out of Washington State, and I think it's really really important because it sort of drives to some of the more systemic issues and the way that like 
language really affects how we view our community and how we view those in our community. And the, the title of the article is Washington Liquor and Cannabis Control Board to formally use, quote, cannabis, not marijuana. It's by Brett Davis for the Center Square. Apparently, uh, the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board, or LCB, as it's known, on Wednesday morning, adopted a motion to implement a 2022 legislation uh, replacing the word marijuana with cannabis throughout state law. After passing the legislature unanimously, sorry, this was HB 1210, it was signed into law by the Governor Inslee on March 11th. Quote, passing the bill, the legislature found the use of the term marijuana in the United States, in the United States, we should emphasize, has discriminatory origins and should be replaced with a more scientifically accurate term cannabis. End of quote. That is a quote by Jeffrey Kaidal, I'm sorry, the LCB's Cannabis Policy and Rules Coordinator. The bill will apparently replace the term throughout the Washington Revised Code, uh, including their iteration of their Uniform Controlled Substances Act um, and Title 314, which is their code detailing the duties and responsibilities of the LCB itself. So although the terms are often seen interchangeable, the Spanish word marijuana was once used to emphasize the foreign nature of the drug at a time of increased xenophobia, according to the author. And it goes on to discuss how in the early 1900s, an influx of immigrants from Mexico led to an increase in anti-Mexican immigrant sentiment throughout the United States, including the campaign of, as we all know, Reefer Madness that demonized cannabis users, often on racial terms. The author also points to Harry Anslinger, a famous name you probably have heard, who was the first commissioner of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, now the DEA, and who was instrumental in getting Congress to pass the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, which banned the selling and possessing of cannabis. Anslinger uh, is famous for allegedly having said, quote, there are 100,000 total marijuana smokers in the U.S., and most are Negroes, Hispanics, Filipinos, and entertainers. This marijuana causes white women to seek sexual relations with Negroes, entertainers, and others, he is quoted as saying. Well, I don't see what's so wrong with that. <laughs> we all spark up a joint. Um, but LCB chair David Postman said, as part of our ongoing evolution, of really the knowledge and acceptance of cannabis and all learning about the history of some of these things. Uh, the new rules become effective on August 6th. So I'm encouraged by this change by Washington State. It's maybe a small thing, but we've had a lot of dialogue on the importance of using the correct terminology on this show and just in our professional lives. I know all of us have. So I'm interested to hear what anyone on this in this space say. Uh, thanks about this, Laura DeCaro, reporting for the State of Cannabis News and Opinion Hour. Um, thank you for bringing this, Laura. I think it's a super important topic, and it's very foundational. That word gets thrown around a lot, and it's been weaponized, particularly against not just Latinos, but specifically Mexicans, Mexicans, Americans. And, you know, the first arrest for cannabis in the United States was in 1903 in Brownsville, Texas. And, of course, it was against a Mexican, a Mexican-American. So um, this word specifically has a connotation. When we speak about, like, people on welfare, we don't re refer to them officially as welfare queens because that's weaponizing. That's a certain term. It's the same thing with the word marijuana, which is a Mexican slang term for weed that we never used in the late 19th century it was cannabis if you looked at those old tincture bottles it says cannabis 
it is a specific application of that word in the early 1900s set to demonize those Mexican immigrants you spoke about. And it still has that pejorative sense. And it, it has that idea of illicit, you know, non uh, a psychoactive thing that has no medical value. That word needs to go. It's just useless. It's an appendage. It doesn't make sense. If you're Mexican, it's a slang that your great grandfather used. That's one thing, but that's not how it's been applied in the law. So thank you for bringing that. Chris, did you have something you wanted to say? Uh, yes, absolutely. I, it frustrates me to no end over the last 12 years, any bill that has been introduced in North Carolina in regards to either medicinal or recreational cannabis. The word marijuana is used more often in the halls of the NCGA and during press conferences and stories. Like for the longest time, when I first started the Changes Coming movement in North Carolina, I was confused because I couldn't find a lot of the news stories that people told me that I was either referenced in or that one of the events that I helped plan was referenced in. And then I finally had to change up my keyword searches. And as soon as I put marijuana in instead of cannabis, all of the news stories that people were telling me I could find started showing up. So it's not just the elected officials, it's the media, it's everyone in North Carolina. Yeah, everyone in North Carolina that I deal with, unfortunately, outside of the hemp CBD Delta 8 and legacy growers and people like that, the general public, they use it every now and then as far as the word cannabis, but marijuana is still, I'd say 90% of the time, the reference that's used in North Carolina, and it's sad. I think, um, I mean, growing up in Virginia and then um, being in Chicago for 12 years as well before I moved out to L.A. about 11 years ago now, um, I didn't know marijuana was a bad word or uh, was offensive to anybody until maybe like 2016. <laughs> like, so I, I think the industry, we should take it upon ourselves, just like um, a lot of people are, are railing against the sativa and um, the sativa indica bad marketing. Uh, change of uh, verbiage matters. Words matter. And if anybody's offended by it, then we shouldn't be saying it. Um, I, I Growing up in Northern Virginia, man, I was a big Washington football team fan. But um, it all it took was one Native American to say that the word Redskins as a team name was offensive. And that's good enough for me. If it's offensive to, to one person that I know, then I'm just not, I'm going to try my best not to say it. And um, all the stories, um, that we cover, I try to substitute cannabis in for marijuana, even um, if the the writer uses it. And uh, and I just would like to speak on because we've had some pushback from our our industry because people in our communities don't know the word cannabis. Um, and so when Roz developed M for MM in uh, two thousand and twelve, uh, that was what the verb the, the verbiage that she used was the verbiage that she was familiar with coming out of Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've had some pushback with m for mm um, and that's why we use the shorthand more often than not. Uh, but obviously with the communities that we're talking to, the people that we're talking to, they don't know the word cannabis. They understand marijuana. Um, and so she put the term medical marijuana in front of the word because she wanted to be very specific about why she was developing the organization um, and who it was for. Um, so I, I just wanted to add that point that obviously that that once she learned that the word was offensive uh, we were already you know three years into the organization and um changing the the name of the organization was hard at that point but definitely understanding the negative connotation now and recognizing that when we're talking to our communities that we try to use the word cannabis and educate as much about the negative connotation with the word marijuana 
That is a really good point because a lot of organizations were started right at a time when it was still you know, very acceptable and, and highly publicized work and used um, a lot more frequently than we might use it now in California. That's a really good point. I think it's a good point, too. It just shows how cut off um, a lot of Mexican-Americans were, are from the community because we knew it, but nobody else seemed to know. And that's totally understandable because we had the government pushing it. We had the media using it flagrantly. So it's going to be a big education. So, you know, a great point like what Rico made about just, you know, educating, learning and being open to like if that native person told him about the Redskins, et cetera. It's like just being sensitive to, and just have being open to, hey, I guess we got to pivot on this. And for those of us who know that word, it's like we really appreciate when somebody takes that stance. It's, just a, it's about just making the effort to respect, uh, to, to show some respect to people. And I, and I try to do that as much yeah. as possible. Respect begets respect. Too, you know, I think it's also become kind of a lazy term now. It's coming back on the scene a little bit more in California as we try to differentiate in just daily conversations about the difference between hemp and, you know, high THC cannabis because it's all cannabis. It's all cannabis. So it, it has been used, I think, a, a, as a bit of a shortener. So we need to be careful about that. Right. Anybody else? It's all you, Rico. Oh, yeah. Now, she's a patient and plant medicine advocate for and founder of the Purple Plant Magic. On top of being Roz McCarthy's right-hand woman on the left coast for M4MM with a gift for curating advocates, educating the masses, and inspiring beautiful shades of purple hair that I hope that she is still rocking to this day. Nicole Buffong, what you got for us on this beautiful Thursday morning? Good morning, everyone. Thanks so much, uh, Rico, for that introduction. Uh, great to be here with you all, sending love out to the ethos, to Susan, wherever she may be. Uh, my my article today is titled, We Ate a 295 Weed-Infused Dinner, Things Got Really Wild, by Stephanie Brejo and Adam Short. Um, this is from the LA Times. Uh, what it's like to sit down to a 295-per-person, 10-course, fine-dining, weed-infused dinner? We didn't know either. That's how we found ourselves on a late spring Tuesday night, tucking our feet under the table at Chris, the herbal chef, say he's members-only secret supper club, and embarking on a globe-trotting, time-traveling, history-inspired, horizon-expanding journey neither of us will soon forget. Although we can't recall it with a whole lot of clarity either, before digging into the delicious details of our edible odyssey, um, there are a few things you should know. First, it's a members-only situation. Um, because selling cannabis infused restaurant prepared food is legal in California, but selling manufactured THC infused foods such as gummies, cookies, or beverages is. You can apply for membership, which costs $1,000 via the Herbal Chef website, then pay for the dinner separately. For the purposes of this story, we were granted one night only membership. Second, there's serious about the secret part, right down to the password you'll be provided in your confirmation email. That's because the monthly meal at schools in the same Santa Monica space usually occupied by Zayi's Nostalgia Bar and Lounge on a night it's not open to the public. Third, you get to choose your own adventure <coughs> before you begin your ask for your preferred dosage, which will be divided among the meal's seven savory courses. You can go anywhere from zero milligrams, and yes, there really are guests who take that route, to infinity and beyond. Ganja gastronauts who opt for the more than 50 milligrams are required to sign a waiver assuming responsibility. 
and hopefully they don't operate any heavy machinery after the meal. One of us opted for 10 milligrams of infusion, the other chose 50 milligrams, in the name of science, of course. I've had someone do 500 milligrams, our server tells us, after we were seated. Our mouths dropped. She was perfectly fine. I would have trusted her to drive me around downtown LA. Everybody is different. They has been holding infused dinners like this for years, usually at private homes or random industrial spaces around town. He says they were born out of a desire to destigmatize the plant and to push back against what he saw happening in the cannabis meat food stuff space. When we started Secret Supper Club, it was really in retaliation to what was happening in our industry and how many people were being shut down after 10 to 15 years of putting their heart and soul into creating, into creating it, he says. So we didn't really have a theme other than rebellion. Eight years and thousands of meals later, he's got the whole rebellion thing on lock. We do everything privately. We're really layered up, lawyered up, he says, about navigating the nuances of what is and isn't legal. And we make sure everything is done by the book. Each of the monthly Secret Supper Club meals moving forward, starting with one we attended in mid-May, will explore a different theme. I personally love infused dining experiences, and I can't wait to have them here in Vegas in the regulated market, a place where everyone can eat, whether you want meal infused or not. Having infused mocktails since I don't drink and the experience of flavors with turkey pairings is so exciting to me. I'm very interested in hearing what my correspondents think about this story, and um, this is Nicole reporting from for the same Cannabis News Hour. Did, did they say who their lawyer is? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, the thing when when we're trying to convince um, legislators that don't consume cannabis, um, like I've been lobbying here in Las Vegas for um, the last two years to get consumption lounges passed. Legislators are confused about how these consumption lounges are going to make money. Um, they don't understand the market. They don't understand the industry. And so they don't understand that bringing experiences like this to a Las Vegas marketplace is huge for cannabis tourism. Um, and so, you know, I think that um, having, being able to go to an actual dinner and not have to worry about it getting busted, um, so to speak, uh, I think it's just going to be a new experience. And then I, I also know that it's going to be great for the city of Las Vegas um, bringing in that type of tourism. I agree. I think this is the wave of the future. I think these events are going to take off as well. Awesome story. Really well written, too. N N Nicole, in, in, in Nevada, are they going to be allowing for these types of meals and events to happen where meals are served to guests without them being tested prior? Uh, so what's going to happen is they've already put it out in the regulations that there will be allowed to have single-serving food items. Um, we don't know if it's going to necessarily be in a restaurant space yet. We're not sure how that's going to work because obviously the dosing has to be done. What, what we do know is that whatever they use inside the restaurant to infuse anything with, let's say it's an oil or some type of glaze, that's going to have to come from a tested facility. Um, and then it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to actually monitor how people are getting dosed. Um, we haven't determined that yet. Um, so it'll be interesting as, as the regulations are now out, um, how these licenses or applications and licenses will be applied and who will be allowed to do what and, and in what terms. So I imagine it's going to be similar to California to where you can't necessarily serve an infused meal, but the, the, the consumer can infuse it themselves. Right. So like they, it might come with a five milligram side of barbecue sauce. 
or it's used balsamic exactly. oil, and then you would have to add it onto your dish yourself. Correct. Or a ten milligram pack of ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> And speaking of condiments, man, condiments are going to be absolutely huge, I think, in the next stage of the game. Bring the sriracha, man. Yeah, big ups to, to Tess Melody out here in, uh, in L.A. doing her thing. Some uh, excellent infused barbecue sauce packages I got to, I got to sample uh, this, this spring. Hopefully uh, those blow up real, real big. Yeah. Yeah, from the retail side, I haven't seen any of those types of products uh, get any type of traction. They've just all been shelf sitters. But I think from the consumption lounge component, uh, bringing that into it, I think it brings a whole new level of different types of products that will service those types of businesses. Right. I've been to a couple of these events, too, and it's it's really pretty exceptional. I think it reaches a whole different group of people, and it's just that whole social setting mixed with food and the, the ambience of where, you know, I've done them in the desert, things like that and open, you know, long table kind of thing. And it's really special. So I, I just think there's going to be such a demand and, and it lets us, it's going to be pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. It's all about, yeah, it is. Sorry, can I interrupt you? Sorry, I had a phone I'm really excited First. to keep pairing with terpenes and food. Um, and then, of course, also like creating mocktails using terpenes. I'm really excited about, you know, being able to experience that. Absolutely. All right, we've reached the halfway point of our show. It is time for the formerly known as Relight when we were in Clubhouse, but now it's known as what, Jason? The <laughs> You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Viewer oh, discretion. Wrong one. <laughs> Thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker. The State of Cannabis or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news, Jason. Oh, yeah. Coming up. Cannabis wizard who holds a PhD in tripping balls and has over 33 years in the game in sales, genetics, and cultivation. Matthew St. Germain is doing his damnedest to continue the work of the Merry Pranksters and the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. New to the co host of What's Good, the Cannabis Flower and Hash Review Show, and the host of the Radio Free Earth podcast, available wherever you get your podcast. Coming up next to the stage is none other than the great Matthew St. Jermaine. Hi, all. Kai, thanks for the intro, Jason. And thanks to everybody else for bearing with me as I uh, learn to stammer through these news articles and get comfortable uh, speaking in public. So my, my article comes from the Beer Bros, and it's about the DEA keep on arresting people for cannabis. So despite the Biden administration's uh, promise to decriminalize cannabis, the Drug Enforcement Administration has ramped up arrests. In 2021, we saw the first increase in arrests over a decade. According to the DEA's Domestic Cannabis Eradication Suppression Program's annual report, the organization had handed over 6,600 people for cannabis-related offenses last year and seized more than 5.5 million marijuana plants. With an increase of about 1 million plants and more than 1,000 arrests, that is a significant step up in enforcement from 2020. When put into perspective, that represents a 32% increase in the number of people handcuffed and a 22% increase in plants destroyed over the course of a year. 
The DEA reported that it captured 743,000 pounds of bulk processed marijuana last year, up from 265,000 pounds in 2020. That's almost triple the amount year over year. Paul Armentano, Deputy Director of Normal, a cannabis activism group, wrote a blog post that, at a time when the overwhelming majority of voters support legalization, when more and more states and even members of Congress are moving toward this direction, it is troubling to see federal agents and their local partners reversing course and reinvigorating their marijuana-related enforcement activities. The Congressional Research Service stated in recent research that the growth of legal cannabis in the states domestically together with international reform initiatives has decreased the demand for illegal marijuana coming from Mexico. Sorry, cannabis. I should have edited that. According to the U.S. Sentencing Commission estimate published in June 2021, federal marijuana trafficking charges will continue to decrease in 2020 as more states move toward legalization. Morgan Fox, political director of Normal, says the solutions to this situation are beyond obvious at this point, and they don't involve law enforcement officers putting themselves or others at risk by dropping out of helicopters or conducting armed raids. It is incumbent on policymakers to pursue evidence-based, market-oriented, and justice-focused policies to minimize unregulated cannabis activity, and they've never had a better opportunity to do so. The DEA, however, seems to believe that cannabis is still a threat to the United States. As part of the initiative, federal investigators and their local partners reported seizing, this is important, $103 million in assets in 2021, which the EA keeps, along with seizures of edibles and with cannabis. The report for the first time also details seizures of other forms of processed cannabis products, such as you know, different extracts, rosin, wax, etc. The majority of plant seizures, 86%, and arrests, 60%, nationwide, like in previous years, occurred in California. Woohoo! Uh, additionally, law enforcement were, uh, reported seizing a significant amount of cultivated plants in Kentucky, 317,000 approximately, and Oklahoma. 160,000. Uh, there's a little doubt that this is motivated by profits. Number one, the DEA seizes uh, the money and keeps it. And then number two, private prisons throughout the U.S. can sue states for not pro- providing enough prisoners. So what connection exists between the rampant cannabis arrest and the popularity of for-profit prisons? And at the end, I would add that this is really a tragedy when we drive around any street in America and see the mass fentanyl usage going on, fentanyl and that usage going on, and why is the DEA continuing not to address that? And I would put forth that it's quite possible that the intelligence services are still running the hard drug game in, in the United States. Questions or comments? Uh, thank you for this story. Uh, what's interesting is that what this does not discuss or talk about is the fact that black and brown people have been getting arrested for just the aroma of cannabis, right? There, there, yes, there's been reports for of people that have been shot because the cops assumed that they had cannabis. That's why they pulled them over, or they smelled the aroma of cannabis. Uh, there was a grandmother in, in Georgia whose uh, house got raided, um, and she was tased uh, and shot um, because of cannabis, um, the aroma of cannabis. Um, so this is interesting, uh, the, the facts that are coming out about the I did not know that private prisons could sue the state for not filling up their beds. That's wild. Um, yeah, nor did I. But the fact that, um, you know, this, this is not anything new. We've known in states that it has been legal, that black and brown bodies are still being locked up for just the aroma, just, 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 the, just the notion that they might have cannabis on them or could have at one point. Um, so I, I, I find this, this number, this um, article alarming, um, and some of the, the things that are mentioned in this article, but uh, from communities that have been disenfranchised and the war on drugs has been put on them, this is nothing new. We're, we're used to, even in states where it's legal, um, to still being arrested just because you um, smell like weed. 
a great point, Nicole. I just wanted to add one other element to this too that I think, you know, like of 2020, the difference is imagine we have, like here in California, this massive over, overproduction of cannabis. We got so much weed and people, especially smaller operators, have been getting crushed. And then, of course, you got states like Idaho because we don't have descheduling where it's completely illegal. So the money's going to flow. So people are running this stuff out of state. I think a lot of this is interstate stuff that's coming from here. And people are getting busted here because they're getting crushed and they're trying to make money. So yeah, there's a lot of arrests because the, the markets without a without federal descheduling are going haywire because there's a huge de- demand and we got oversupply in certain places. People are going to break the law. Chris, did you have something? Yeah, sadly I do because North Carolina, this, this story means a lot to me and it makes a lot more sense now considering everything that's happened because there was a, um, there was a bill that was getting passed around the house last week that really scared the life out of me. And with the election we have coming up in November in North Carolina, they only need six seats to get the power to override the governor veto. And this is one of the the bills that the governor has vetoed, but they have already said that they will override it if they win the election in November. And it's House Bill 101, which basically, I'll, I'll shorten it to you in layman's terms, it doesn't deal with the police, but the Sheriff's Association specifically. So now we're talking more rural parts of North Carolina with larger Hispanic and minority, you know, that live in that area. If a sheriff detains someone, not gets them convicted, not, not put them before a judge, but just detains them. So let's say like for the smell or aroma of cannabis or maybe a busted taillight, they now have to legally operate with ICE and turn that person over if they think they might be an illegal alien or immigrant within no more than 48 hours, or they will be professionally and financially held accountable. So North Carolina is going to pass a bill if the Republicans win the governor override that says if a sheriff was to pull over a Hispanic person in town and go, I think I smell weed, they don't even have to put them in front of a judge. They just have to throw them in jail, say that their ID looks fake and then if they don't call ice immediately they'll be fined and penalized at work that's scary it's horrible and, and there was a bill that a senator in louisiana i remember that we reported on that was suggesting that we lock up kids for cannabis Do y'all remember that i haven't heard that one that's mm-hmm. i do really yeah, I I think I do remember that. We're hearing that, and I think we lost you. Yeah, and the the whole reason that I when Chuck Edwards, a Republican in the in the Senate, can you hear me? Yes. Hey, this is Lakeisha, and no, no, um, yeah, there was a bill. This is the part that that threw me off in Louisiana. Um, They decriminalized marijuana for um, adults. So if you've got like 14 grams or less, they're going to give you a civil um, citation. But yet you were trying to pass a bill that anyone 17 or younger, which of course kids should not have access to cannabis, but you're going to give them a criminal charge. So yes, Nicole, you're absolutely right on that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that update. You know, this is part of a disturbing trend, though, right? Deputizing people to take extraordinary action for the sake of political purpose. Bounty hunting. 
Yeah, it's widespread and it's very dangerous. Let's keep smoking the news. Up next, he's a fifth-generation Californio that just so happens to also be an award-winning journalist, brand-building content ninja, and freedom-fighting farmer's friend, never backing down from opportunities to clap back at provocative, short-sighted, conservative comments with the hard-hitting truths that they do not want you to hear. Up next, Eric Hiss Laredo. What you got for us today, my man? Thanks, Mucho Rico. Um, hey, everybody. Great to be here today. My headline is from Ad Age, and it's cannabis ads may soon be allowed on local TV and radio. Potential law would prevent FCC from blocking ads in states with legalized cannabis. So the media is kind of my sandbox, so I love this, but uh, just jumping right in. Broadcasters have been notorious for the refusal to air cannabis ads. Even in states where the product is legal, advertisers found themselves being turned down as the Federal Communications Commission took the stance that a federally illegal product could not be advertised. Law 360 reported that House lawmakers tack language onto a FCC spending bill for next year to block the FCC from trying to prevent broadcasters from running ads for cannabis products in states with legalized cannabis. Editor and publisher of magazine reported, under the language, the FCC could not use any of the funds appropriated to the agency for the fiscal year that starts October 1 to deny broadcasters a license renewal or station sale application or acquire an early license renewal application to be filed in reaction to a stations taking cannabis ads in legal jurisdictions. According to the National Association of Broadcasters, the House Appropriation Committee advanced the FY 2023 Financial Services and General Government Appropriations Bill, which included language that would prevent the FCC from taking administrative action against broadcasters that accept cannabis advertisements consistent with the law of the state or jurisdiction in which it is, the station is licensed. NAB spokesman Alex Siciliano said, we are pleased to see that this bipartisan language has advanced in the House today as the vast majority of states have legalized cannabis in some form. Today marks a long overdue step toward finally allowing broadcasters to receive equal treatment regarding cannabis advertising that other theme forms of media have had for years. While we welcome today's progress, local broadcasters will continue to work with all policymakers towards a broader resolution of this competitive disparity and in support of our unique service to local communities. Cannabis companies typically advertise on billboards, print media, some social media, depending on the company and platform, and cable or internet streaming channels. However, local television radio companies have been prevented from running these ads. Canvas advertising is projected to total $18.5 billion in the U.S. this year. While the move is seen as a positive one, it must still pass through the U.S. House of Representatives. The bill will then move to the House floor for consideration in July and then goes on to the Senate. The, NY, the NYSBA said that the Senate poses additional problems, not just for its language, but the entire appropriations process. Uh, the appropriations process is notoriously complex, which means the bill may get stalled. Congress has likely adopted an interim budget through a continuing resolution. At some point, perhaps after the midterm elections, there will be a final vote. Even if it passes, the legislation is not a silver bullet. It would have to be renewed next year for FY 2024 and every year thereafter. As a practical matter, once it is included, it is likely, likely to be renewed every year. I would just like to add, regardless of what happens in the Senate, I'm just glad we're at a point now where powerful voices in the media, like the NAB, are coming out in support of opening up the market for cannabis advertising. It's critical for brands and operators of all sizes to be able to compete and tell their story on various platforms. Where there's always going to be some restrictions, as 
we have with alcohol and tobacco. This marks a turning point and now a more open media marketplace. It's just a matter of when, not if. And that's what I've got today. I'm Eric for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Gracias for having me on. Thank you for covering this one, uh, uh, Eric. This is a, a great follow-up to my story from Monday on uh, Ebro Darden on the New York Cannabis Advisory Board. If you're going to be able to broadcast and advertise um, um, cannabis products, you should be able to broadcast that education as well. And some, this is something that can be used by his platform, Jason, uh, on, uh, out in the Hot 97 in New York. Hope this, uh, this gets passed. I think it's important that um, that if, if we're going to be advertising uh, products, that we also should be able to advertise and market education. It's so important, um, and you can't do either right now. Um, but I think that the education needs to be able to be released um, so that we can stop um, believing and, and hearing these propaganda stories and knowing that they are coming from a place of of, of of negative, uh, negative press against cannabis that is just not true. It's based on, um, you know, what your what your actual uh, objectives are, which, like in the case of the of big pharma, um, is to not allow people to grow their own medicine. Right, and maybe this, maybe we can get a little follow up on what happened to that ten million dollars uh, that were budgeted in California that were supposed to go uh, to public service announcements and education to the masses on cannabis, but um, nobody knows where it went. Eric, this is specific to New York. Is that correct? No, no. This is uh, this is NAB. So this is nationwide. This is a uh, FCC. This is, yeah, this is FCC. So, is, so, so, so what they have governance over all of the airwaves. Is that is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I mean, this is the this is the NAB helping um, you know push this forward through with the NF with the FCC. This is legislation in the House right now that's going to go to the Senate that would provide language. That it excludes. Um, in other words, if you're if you're a, a radio station or a TV station, you can't be penalized for running cannabis ads. That's essentially what the language says federally. That's a big, big step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's huge. And the NAB is behind it, and they're very powerful. You know, they have this. This is, you know, this is what I mean when you get players like that involved. You know, you know, telling telling things the way we think. Uh, is the right, you know, this is the language that we need, and these are the people we need behind us, so this is why this is critical to NAB. So whatever happens, the fact that NAB is in this game with us is really important. And the NAB is the National Association for Broadcasters, correct? Right, right. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how those restrictions kind of play out, um, what people are allowed to to say, but it's definitely, you know, (laughs) the almighty ad dollar at work. You know, whatever it's worth. Mm-hmm. All right, let's keep uh, let's keep it moving. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Censor. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's keep it moving here, uh, Jason. Who we got next? Oh yeah, coming up next to the stage is Nicholas Wildstar. He's a blunt blowing Fresno based man of the people, representing the Black conservative voice, who just its very existence, Joe Biden would love to silence and strip your hood past for even acknowledging. Here to change the narrative is none other than the governor himself, Nicholas Wildstar. Thank you. 
Thank you, thank you, JP. Happy 7-7 State of Cannabis with the being tailed the truth day and National Forgiveness Day. My story for today is the target dead on. A group of pissed off progressive Democrats in the Senate are turning up the heat on the White House to deliver on, on Joe Biden's campaign promise to end the federal war on marijuana users. In the letter on Wednesday to the White House, Department of Health and Human Services and Justice Department, uh, a group of six Democrats urged the Biden administration to follow through on a promise Joe Biden repeated several times on the campaign trail to decriminalize marijuana. The issue is a sore spot for the left. Mr. Biden has taken almost no action on the issue to date, despite running ads espousing his plans to automatically expunge the criminal records of those convicted of marijuana-related offenses and decriminalize the drug to ensure that people do not get sent to prison for possession or suppose, supposed intent to distribute. The inaction on marijuana policy and criminal justice reform ties into the growing and persistent narrative which claims that Mr. Biden is unprepared for leadership and is getting little done, either for fear of provoking Republicans or appearing as a tyrant for which Democrats often criticize his predecessor. predecessor. We commend the Biden administration's recent pardons and comment, uh, commutations um, of 70, 78 people, including nine with nonviolent cannabis-related offenses, wrote the lawmakers, led by Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. However, much more has to be done to address the racist and harmful legacy of cannabis policies on black and brown communities. On November 9, 2021, we called on President Biden to use his authority to pardon all individuals convicted of nonviolent cannabis offenses, whether formally or currently incarcerated. To date, we have not received a response to this letter. They continue noting that, that it is estimated that around 40,000 people are currently in prison in America at the federal level for marijuana-related offenses. The White House has continued to punt the football whenever asked about the issue. Former Press Secretary Jen Psaki said that the president said exploring multiple avenues to provide relief to certain nonviolent drug offenders, including through the use of his clemency power last August, but beyond issuing pardons for three people and commuting the sentences of several dozen in April, the White House has not lived up to the president's promises. The administration's failure to coordinate a timely review of its cannabis policy is harming thousands of Americans, slowing research and depriving Americans of their ability to use marijuana for medical or other purposes, the senators wrote. We ask that the administration act quickly to rectify this decade-long injustice harming individuals, especially black and brown communities. Reporting with the State of Cannabis News Hour, this is Nick Wildstar, a.k.a. The Governor. Speak now or forever hold your peace. I, I wish we had the numbers, Nicholas. Thank you for this story. I, I wish we had the numbers on how much private prisons are lobbying, how much they're spending in, on lobbyists in, in, in D.C. Like, I, w- I wish we could know that. I wish that was public information, because uh, that would be interesting, especially now that we know that private prisons can sue the state for not filling up their beds. I mean, 
does Joe Biden even stand a chance <laughs> at any kind of re-election or anything? His own fucking party is all clapping back at him. He can't do anything uh, to actually help people in the cannabis lane. And despite what Jason Beck might say, there is a growing number supporting the cannabis caucus. Well, I'm going to tell you what, Joe Biden, you might as well be a fucking press on nail because he's getting pressed by the Democrats not to run in 2024. He's getting pressed by the Democrats to do something about inflation. He's getting pressed by the Democrats to do something about cannabis. And he just keeps on getting pressed. He might as well be a lame ass basketball player or a press on nail. A lame ass basketball player. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Is it a Lee press on nail? <laughs> Oh no, come on, come on, no, 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 no. <laughs> come on. Oh my god. We need a problematic uh, warning. <laughs> I, think, I think you misspoke. We know that Trump is owned by China. Hey, I, I will I will I will say one thing. He's owned he's owned by Russia and manufactured in China. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> you don't think that the production of all those, uh, you know, all that stuff that's being shipped to Ukraine is not happening in the United States and creating jobs in the United States, Jason? Do you? It's do you not. Think? It's all being sourced. It's all being sourced in China manufacturing. Uh huh. Sure, I'll follow that. Follow it. Follow yeah. it. Follow the money. I will. All we're doing I'll, is I'll sending follow taxpayer up. dollars to Ukraine. Javelin missiles are made in North Carolina, my friend. Just look it up yourself. What makes you think they send javelin missiles? They send. Just, 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 Words. We are the facts. We are the truth, and we hold the truth. <laughs> Man, we're stronger than truth. <laughs> All right, y'all. That was a great show, and if you missed it, you can catch it anywhere you get your podcast. As soon as we get those up, if not, we will be posting the replay uh, minutes after the show because um, we uh, we don't know when uh, Susan will be available to upload those in podcast format as of right now. She'll be back in action next week. A big thank you to all the correspondents that come through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to do. A big thank you to my co-host, Jason Beck, and the rest of the production team trying to uh, as we try to hold things together back here in Susan's absence. Um, and thank you to the audience for being such a important part of the show we're trying to get things uh evened out as far as the audio piping that back out to uh, uh clubhouse keep those uh critiques keep those uh, uh um questions and comments coming it's only going to get us better and please don't hold back too if you guys gotta talk shit talk your shit we'd like to hear that too so um going out with the uh final disclaimer here any final words you want to say before we uh, um, uh sign off here jason Just remember why. Uh, um, just remember, if you are in Los Angeles, it depends on what block you're on, man. Don't vote red everywhere. <laughs> you might get fucked up. <laughs> You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour. 
where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Vote purple. <laughs> Love y'all. See y'all tomorrow. Everyone have a great day. I said, I said good day. I said to you good day, sir. Aloha.